welcome to all of our listeners today in the studio here at St. Abem. We are speaking to Liam Fuller and Rosie Flatman. We've got Safeguarding Week, of course, coming up next week, and they're here to answer a few questions uh, about this very important subject. So welcome to Rosie. Welcome, Liam. Good to see you. And uh, yeah, great to have you here talking about this really important subject for today. Thank you very much for having me. And me. Okay, Rosie, very quickly, are you enjoying St. Helena? I love St. Helena. The weather's amazing as well. Okay, wonderful. Well, we're glad you're here. So, as we mentioned, a very important subject. We're talking about safeguarding week, and, uh, you know, we're just really pleased that you're here to work us through this because it's a really important subject uh, that we're working through. Bearing in mind, of course, that very soon we're going to see the Aquiano cable go live, and, of course, as much as that is a positive thing, we also have to look at some of the risks that can be associated with that as well. So we're going to start with our questions and, uh, well, very obviously the first one is what is Safeguarding Week and why do we need it on St. Helena? Um, yes, so Friday the 18th of March uh, is uh, International Exploitation Day. So uh, we decided that it would be um, appropriate that we launch Safeguarding Week on that day itself. Um, Really, the focus um, for the following week's activities from the Monday to the Friday, the 21st to the 25th, um, is around uh, exploitation of both children and also adults um, in light, as you said, of the new internet cable coming to the island. Um, we recognise, the government recognises that uh, it will bring many benefits, but sadly, it will also open us up to, to certain risks and dangers. Um, to all sections of the community um, and so we really want to raise awareness around some of those issues um, in preparation uh, for when it goes live. And the programme itself is really inclusive so we're having twilight sessions during the week so that parents can attend, they can come and look at what we're going to be showing the children, they can have conversations with us. We've got sessions on Monday to Friday during the day. We've invited people from all different um, organisations across the island. So whether you work in a shop or you work in social care, you're invited. So it's all inclusive and you're going to be engaging all across the community, which is excellent. Yeah, we've got um, a spot down in Jamestown, we've got some spots up uh, Ladder Hill, and then we've got a spot up in Longwood as well, so that different people from different parts of the community can come and attend really. Okay. Thank you, Rosie. All right, so um, again, the next very easy question I think is, you know, what are some of the ways in which children and adults are exploited online, Liam? Um, well, I mean, so from, from my point of view, I mean, I'll talk about the adults, really. Um, so uh, the adult exploitation um, occurs through many of the same mediums that, uh, that impacts children. Um, so you've got your, your social media, your Facebook, your WhatsApp. Um, but believe it or not, there are you know, other new mediums that may well uh, impact the island. So you've got your dating websites uh, that adults like to use, um, email communications, uh, text messages, uh, all sorts of scams that uh, that occur. Um, so there's a, there's a vast medium that adults, you know, that can can be exploited. Uh, exploited, sorry. So with children, it comes in many different forms, similar to what Liam said, but a lot of it through social media, so whether that's through Facebook, Instagram, whether that's through new apps that they may download onto the phone where they have the opportunity to talk to new people that they've never met before. 
gaming consoles, I know gaming isn't a massive thing at the moment on the island, but when fast internet comes, it might be. So there's been lots of significant cases of people that have children who've went on gaming consoles, thought they've made a new friend, um, and that friend is actually an, an adult who's trying to exploit them. So and, and things like Snapchat, other apps where they're they can be quite good for some children to engage with other children, but if they're given in the wrong hands, um, they can be quite dangerous. All right, thank you, Ruthie. All right, uh, there's a mention here about a particular case with Lewis Danes and Breck Bedner, a case in 2015. What is that actually about? Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, I have to admit it's, it's one of the more extreme um, cases that, you know, but I'd like to uh, highlight it. So it actually started in 2014, um, and there was a 14-year-old uh, boy called Brett Bednar, uh, as most a lot of 14-year-old boys are, very much into his computers, very much into his gaming uh, consoles. Spent a lot of time upstairs in his bedroom on his own, you know, um, great for mum and dad, because, you know, he's minding his own business and, you know, not causing a, a, a trouble around the house. Uh, unfortunately, he was uh, actually communicating with a, uh, an 18-year-old boy called Lewis Danes. Um, now, Lewis lived uh, in uh, Essex. This is in the UK. So uh, he lived in Essex, uh, just a, a couple of hours from where uh, Breck lived. Uh, he was unemployed, um, very highly intelligent, um, and also into his computing and gaming. Lewis pretended to be a software engineer. Uh, he claimed that he had a company in New York, had access to all the best super quick servers, so that uh, that the gamings you know that they were doing would run really quickly, um, and that was something that Brett was really interested in. You know, really developing it was something he was very focused in. Loved his computer, so naturally uh, was uh, you know drawn to to, to Lewis. Um, Lewis pretended that he was terminally ill um, and said that he wanted a trusted individual to uh, give, sell his uh, business to and um, sadly uh, managed to groom Breck and Breck decided to go and travel to Lewis without mum knowing um, and unfortunately uh, Lewis um, murdered Breck uh, at the property. Um, now, the issues that this were uh, raised um, was that uh, a couple of things, which was firstly, mum of Breck was concerned. She'd actually identified that there was something slightly uh, wrong going on and that she'd overhear conversations with somebody that had clearly got an adult voice, um, uh, a lot uh, uh, older than being you know, a young uh, teenager, and had reported it to the police. Um, but at the time, you know, the internet gaming exploitation thing was still being developed and um, wasn't really looked into. Um, and mum tried her best, bless her, but unfortunately it came to it came to a sad end. I'd say the, the reason why I've talked about that is is, is that when the internet comes, um, children are going to be opened up to all sources of individuals that are going to be pretending to be somebody that, that they're not. Um, and just because your child's upstairs happily playing away on the computer doesn't make them uh, safe. Mm. And if I could just throw in something here as well, Liam, because the island is very well known for being very safe and secure, mm. and you know, that's a given. But I think sometimes that then can um, allow sort of barriers to, to come down. 
because of the safety and security that we enjoy here. We can take things for granted. The fact that you mentioned about mm. the child being upstairs or mm. because we do one thing to be near, sometimes there seems to be an idea that we, we would somehow be immune from what's happening in the outside world. And I think what you guys are doing are actually preparing um, in an event. You know, God forbid that it should happen, but the fact is that I think people need to be educated and parents need to be vigilant, exactly as you said, because a ch because this is saying to me, oh, it's not likely that's going to happen, or secondly, as you say, my child is safe. Um, it just goes to show that actually the risks can be anywhere and actually intensify when that cable does go live. Absolutely, and, and just to put some context on it, that even though the cable <laughs> isn't live, we have already had on St. Mm. Helena adult offenders uh, grooming children internationally yeah. um, on a different island. So we've already had that, and so we haven't even got it live. Yeah. We're already, we're already yeah. there, so those risks sure. already exist. Yeah. And therefore, if adult offenders on this island can do it to children off island, yeah. getting images and inappropriate sexual communication, all of that stuff, the reverse Absolutely. is going to be true, sadly. So true, you're right. Okay, so let's talk about some of the types of online exploitation that there are just to, um, I, I see something that you see very often come through to the, through the movies as well, Rosie, you've got things like sexting there, so for grandma who's sitting at home, what on earth is sexting? <laughs> Grandma Closure is. <laughs> I may be open them. Um, so sexting is a communication between uh, people where they're talking about events uh, in a sort of fantasy. So it's usually using sexual comments or saying that one person wants to do sexual things to another person. Now, if this is between two consenting adults, then I'm minding my own business. You know, if if that's what people want choose to do, then I have no issue with that at all. My concern is when you have um, adults that have got contact with a child through either pretending to someone else or through even saying who they are but then befriending that child and then start sending these sorts of messages and trying to coerce children to sending these sorts of messages back. We also have it sometimes with children where you know what children feel like sometimes you say a naughty word and get a bit giddy um, but sometimes children will also decide that they're going to engage in this with other children where they want to send these sorts of messages. Do they mean what they're saying half the time? Probably not, um, but it's one of those situations where children can fall quite quickly into it. But then some of the danger in that is one of the children might think the other children wants to engage in this sort of conversation, but the other child might just be a bit worried if they don't engage back in that conversation that that person is not going to speak to them anymore, so they can fall into compliance. So then we're talking about is there actually clear consent in these conversations? Do these children actually know what they're talking about? So it, it's just something to think about, really. And I don't think it's something that people really worried about 10 years ago. Sure, you're right. Anything else, uh, Rosie, that you, you can add? Catfishing, it sounds like going to fish for a catfish or fishing for a cat. Tell us about that. So, so the term catfishing, if anyone watches TV, there's a program called Catfishing, and there's these yeah. two men that go around, don't they? And they try and find these people that are pretending to be other people online and pretending to be people they're not, and usually they use images off the internet. And I think that program's brilliant because it sort of opens you up to the fact that, you know, this does happen all the time. But when we're talking about in terms of exploitation, this can happen with adults or children. So this is where someone pretends to be someone else that they're not online.
time. So, for instance, I'm 28 years old, I'm a woman, I could pretend to be a 14-year-old boy, I could nick an image off the internet and call myself, I don't know, Tom, um, and then start talking to someone with this image, with this social media presence, as if I'm a 14-year-old boy. And they'll sometimes use things like saying, Oh, my internet connection's not very good, so I can't FaceTime, or I can't video call. That's why, you know, we can't have that sort of conversation. But I can message, um, and it's just a way of adults in this situation uh, finding a way to communicate with children, pretend to be someone they're not. But this happens with adults quite a lot as well, wouldn't you say, Liam? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, so this, the romance scams is probably yeah. the biggest uh, example of catfishing that, that, that occurs um, and uh, you know I'm hoping the listeners uh, t to this uh, show um, can try and get themselves on one of the uh, either the day sessions because um, we'll talk about um, this more often or if you're a parent to the twilight sessions um, because we'll be talking about uh, these issues so with romance scams effectively what it is 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 that it's a lot of the time it's done through the, the actual um, genuine dating sites um, so it's through a legitimate platform but it's individuals that what they do is that they say, you know, here's a picture of me that's not them, this is my age, my profile. They may be in uh, quite um, lucrative positions, so uh, lots of money, or they might be, you know, military or police officers even, uh, where there's kind of a draw, kind of, oh, wow, yeah. Um, and they strike up a conversation and they, a development, a relationship develops really quite quickly online. And then... Um, but there's sorts of excuses, for example, you know, video chat. You say, well, can I see you? Oh, there'll be an excuse as to why we can't, uh, I can't um, video chat online. And I'll then develop to uh, having a, can I come visit? Oh, I haven't got any money. Can I, you know, I need to come travel because it's a relationship abroad. Can you please send me some money so that I can buy some tickets because there's been a problem or there's a death in the family and there's a funeral to pay for. What's one that we've had? Uh, had somebody pretended to be in the military, um, and that they were deployed uh, abroad um, and needed some money to assist them uh, with their military deployment. Um, there was, was a lady I spoke to, twenty-five thousand pounds. She lost. Um, this guy wasn't in the military. So I mean, that's that's one of the the, the kind of the key uh, exploitation of, of adults. Just two other, just briefly, two others um, that people will start to need to be wary of. These are terms that I like to get out there. Fishing with a PH, yeah. not an F. Uh, that's what we call social engineering. Uh, best example I could give of how somebody on St. Helena could be a victim of phishing is, is that I'm sure there are many listeners out there that may be uh, import stuff and they may use Richard James. Um, now, if such an individual received an email purporting to be from Richard James saying uh, hi you've imported some stuff um, our bank account has changed uh, here's an invoice for some bits and pieces could you please send us the money for this invoice a lot of people may go hmm, okay well I kind of not unexpected that I might get a, a, an email from Richard James and may then send that money to that other bank account yeah. Um, what it is is cyber criminals are making up fake emails uh, and they can actually pretend to be a legitimate address. So that would be um, that would be phishing. Um, and the last one is money mules. Again, it's happened on the island um, where, uh, and this was a specific case, where an email was received uh, from uh, a 
across the world saying, I'm a lawyer representing two children that were orphans, a very sad long story, uh, they need access to their inheritance quite urgently, however they can't pay their fees, I'm reaching out to you to see whether you'd be willing to assist the children would give you the money back to pay the fees. Um, and that was about £6,000 that that individual has lost. And, and it's interesting because even you know, with, with the cable coming in, we already have internet though, but it's, one has already seen some of the cases that you mentioned mm. on the increase anyway. Mm. So as a result, even just from the opening of the airport mm. and extra people coming to the island, we saw extra mm. hotels and guest houses open up. You get people making fake inquiries. We run a guest house. We have that all the time. Okay. And the thing is that if you don't know, some of this is very well disguised. Mm. Some of them even develop a website. So you mm. click on it, you know. And so people have got to be really savvy. Mm. And, and there are ways around, you know, if you're not sure, I guess, check it out with somebody, even when it comes to giving up bank details and stuff like that. I think people on St. Stephen should just get into the habit of just being a little bit wary and be careful, um, you know, before they actually action something maybe no absolutely no absolutely and i think you know and i'm happy to you know to give personal examples so you know you, you can never really 100 percent safeguard yourself and actually i've been a victim of a scam myself where uh, i go on holiday quite a lot yeah. abroad in the in in europe mm -hmm. and i use a legitimate uh, website yes. to book a guest room yeah. and i've paid for it using my credit card and then lo and behold i get a phone call from the bank about a week later saying that my bank card is now being used around the, the world to try and withdraw money. So, you know, anybody, anybody it can be a victim, yeah. and you know, yeah. you can be as savvy as, as, as you like, but you know, cyber criminals are very crafty and they'll come up with all sorts of different ways of targeting people. So, that's what's really important we raise awareness, exactly. really. Exactly, and that's why the community is important to have these conversations so we mm. all can educate each other and support each other and, and you know, just understand what's happening out there. All right, uh, moving on, uh, we're talking now about what the law says when it comes to communicating with children, mm. which could be considered as sexual. I think this is a really, really important point. Going back to what Rosie mentioned earlier about sometimes people say something and maybe it's not intended in that moment, but I think it's just, again, people being very careful about what you say and then how it can be perceived. So. I think maybe making a comment about somebody's dress or can actually might at the time might not, might not seem so harsh but actually you know especially people I think who are working with young people they need to be very very careful about what they're actually saying to them because it's a very thin line isn't it what do you say Liam um, so it, so there's, there's two issues. Uh, for, for me, what you're talking about is context mm -hmm. in the conversation. Yes. What's going on in that uh, individual's head? Right. Why are they communicating right. with that child? What is it they're seeking to gain out that, that level of communication? Because what we don't want to do is uh, disempower individuals, adults, um, being motivators and mentors towards children and paying compliments, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and you know, growing confidence of children. Um, and you know, so there's nothing wrong with an adult saying you're looking nice today, yes. be, you know, for a teenager sure. to say because if that's a if that's a confidence and a motivator, then sure. it depends on, on as long as it's like that. Yes. As long as it sticks to that. Yeah, sure. um, what we're talking about in terms of uh, of, of what communicating with a child is, is is where the intent is to engage with a child in uh, an adult topic themes, whether it to be talking very sexually explicit. Mm -hmm 
or just even kind of those kind of nuages, you know, to, to groom, to, to kind of develop that, because there's only one thing that adult wants, and that's to get some sort of sexual gratification. It doesn't necessarily mean that what they're actually looking to do is to meet the child. It's still unlawful if you're trying to engage them with that child to get sexual gratification, even on, online. So in terms of what the law says, okay, it's an offence to incite a child into sexual activity, okay, and we've managed to get through stated case, sexual activity means inciting a child to respond in text messages uh, in a sexual manner, to talk about uh, sexual things, to try and send uh, messages with, of naked pictures, and the key thing is, is, is that that child does not need to respond in a sexual manner. If it's clear and evident that adult is trying to incite, which is to get that child to respond to all of the inappropriate messages, well, that is sufficient. Okay, they don't have to send the images because that's a whole different that's yeah. a whole different legislative uh, uh, piece of law. The fact that they're trying is enough, even if the child doesn't. Fact that they're trying so is enough. It's with intent, kind of thing. You have that from the adult side of yes, things. Yes, yeah. Anybody over the age of 18 that tries to get to get a child mm -hmm. to respond inappropriately, right. talk about sexual stuff, it's against the law. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so far, a lot of people have been going to jail for that. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about uh, sexual offences and. Can we go on, Liam, and then talk about images? I mean, I think, sorry, Rosie, I don't think there's anything else you want to add at that point. No, but I just wanted to mention grooming just for a second. So some of the stuff that Liam was talking about then in terms of when an adult is contacting a child um, to try and sort of incite that conversation. Grooming is something that's very, very powerful, um, and it's a way in which that adults uh, befriend children. They make children believe that they are friends, they do care about them, and they've got their best interests at heart. So, and that... Children don't believe this because they're stupid. They are led to believe this because adults are very powerful. And because of what happens within this situation, this could be where the child thinks they're a friend, the child thinks they're a boyfriend or a girlfriend, where the child thinks that that person's the best interest for them. So therefore, trusts them. So this doesn't just happen um, randomly. Usually, perpetrators seek children out to groom them. And there could be different things that different perpetrators are looking for, whether it's online or on the street. And what they try to do a lot of the time is keep some level of consistency. So whether that's consistency in contact via phone, via message, um, physical contacts where the adult will go to the same place that they know that child is every day, for instance. These are the things that we really need to be watching out for because is that adult saying hello to your child because they're just being friendly or are they trying to strike up some sort of um, engagement where that child then thinks that they're trustable? Because children will often think that people are trustworthy um, until they've got evidence to believe otherwise. But that is the starting process before any of those sorts of messages sometimes come through where they're asking for um, sexually explicit images or anything else. It's that stage where they're just being nice to them. Um, and like Liam was saying before, we don't want to create a situation where adults are frightened to be nice to children. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about adults that are being nice to children with the intent... And exploiting them. Yes, absolutely, it's a big difference, of course. Okay, can we can we move on to the topic of images now? Mm. Um, get a little bit of understanding um, around that. So, what classes an indecent image? Okay, so uh, 
in theory, anything can be classed as an indecent image. Again, it comes down to the, the context of, of, of the, the nature of the image and, and what's being held. So we, we have three classes. So from a, from a legal perspective, when we're trying to what we call grade them for the purposes of court, um, and, and the grading is purely around sentencing. Okay, it's around the seriousness. The more serious the picture, the more serious the sentence that you're going to get. The first two, category in A and B, are the really obvious sexual ones. Um, so whether it includes you know, sexual penetration, uh, inappropriate touching while the child's naked, anything that is clearly that would be an, an adult-related uh, uh, pose or depict something clearly sexual. Um, and, um, and also, actually, believe it or not, sadly, it does happen. Uh, it involves Adam's, uh, animals and sadism, so torture, that type of thing. Quite serious, but, you know... It, it, that's the reality of the world that we live in. The very last one, which is what we call a category C, um, the best example I could give is, is that um, if you've got a parent that's got pictures of their children in the bath, okay, having fun, etc., not an indecent image, okay. If you've got an individual that lives on their own, um, that you come across a whole album different children in the bath right? Um, or children that are dressed up in appropriate children's clothing but doing adult maybe sexy poses and stuff like that that's that would also be classed as an uh, as an indecent image because it's around what's the image and is that individual that's got it got it for sexual gratification um, so that's an indecent image and very recently as well, what has been included, because there was a loophole, is, is that cartoons are also now included. They're more graphic. So if you've got an adult that's maybe drawing, so you get some very excellent uh, artists who's drawing uh, children um, in cartoon form in the category A and B, that is now also an is this offense. another consideration? Is this also another way Perpetrators, or also trying to, you know, get around the law. Yes. Well, it's just a cartoon because it, 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 it appears that's how it appears to me that we might not necessarily get in big trouble for having cartoon images as you would if you have a photograph. So, again, is that just a way that perp
facial care workers have to be on a continual um, sort of educating journey for themselves because it's always something yeah no absolutely popping up um, uh, you know the reality of the world is, is that uh, society and the nature and the way it commits crime is forever changing um, and 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 that it's down to you know professional uh, you know agencies like children's services adult services and the police to keep you know on 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 top of um, of that developing um, society and the way that it you know, say it, it offends and um, poses risks to our vulnerable people one of the best ways I think that we do that is by sharing information with other yes, people. Right. So our information sharing is so important and you will see that yourself on this island um, because it's only through information sharing that different things can be brought to light and then if you don't have the up-to-date knowledge on that, you can go and then get it um, because sometimes things prop pop up that you know you personally as a professional might not have seen that specific case before or something like that before but then there's always somewhere or something you can go to but we only get that insight through individuals from the community um, acting on their safeguarding responsibility really and sharing that information with us because it's no good us sitting in our office thinking that we understand what's going on when actually members of the public have knowledge that you know we really need very important all right, uh, we're halfway through, I guess. A uh, million-dollar question, really. Uh, if children can consent to sex at the age of 16, I know this question and comment comes up quite often. So how can they then be exploited up until the age of 18? Because they're hmm. adults. No, no, they're not. And, that's, and I think that's a really important message that we're trying to get across. Um, uh, so the welfare of children's ordinance, which is what you know guides uh, professionals' response, children's services' response, and, in, and indeed the, the police as well, is very clear that a child is actually anybody up until and including the age of 17. Now, when it comes to um, consent around certain issues uh, like um, engaging in sex at the age of 16, so that comes under a different bit of legislation. But, and we'll talk about consent a little bit later. The reality is that anybody can be exploited. It's about have being taken advantage of. Um, men and women of all ages, uh, as we well may well know, are trafficked and groomed around sure. around the, around the world for sexual purposes. Um, and it's again, it's around the, the background to that. It, it's it's one thing having a fully open and consensual relationship, sixteen onwards, age appropriate, peer appropriate, um, where you know there's equal partnership and relationship and power versus where somebody in a position of power is grooming actually anybody up to the age of 17 through money, gifts, uh, benefits and it's still actually an offence. It's still against the law if you are facilitating, so if an adult is facilitating or arranging sex with anybody up until the age of 17 through money, gifts, benefits or taking a photos streaming anywhere in the world it's against the law um, and the reason why that offence is uh, come into place is is because there'd be perpetrators predominantly in the UK because that's where the legislation started from um, reaching out to other places in the world Cambodia is a really good one Thailand Vietnam where families are poor and arranging for children up to the 17 to be available online in exchange for money so that's so that's why so whilst it's yes sex at 16 technically context consensual which we'll talk about age appropriate fine difference in power 
grooming. Yeah. So grooming, we were just talking about grooming a second yes, ago. Sure. So if the legal age of consent to sex is 16, for instance, that doesn't mean that someone can start grooming a child when they're 15, thinking, well, they'll be 16 soon, so it's okay. It's still not okay. Um, so people may say, um, well, I'm only speaking to them. I'm only having contact with them. We're not having sex. Um, he or she will be 16 soon it's still not acceptable. If you are grooming a child with the expectation that, you know, you're getting one sexual gratification, but two, as soon as they turn 16, then this is what I'm going to do. That's still wrong, not just from a legal standpoint, but from a moral standpoint as well, because we're talking about children here. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so, again, really just to go back over, is there a sort of difference, or what is consent, and is there a difference between adults and children, Liam? Um, so adults, so well, consent's defined in law, so from a legal perspective, okay, um, and uh, it's around um, true consent. So does somebody have the full freedom and capacity, which includes understanding, therefore comes into age and maturity, to agree to whatever it is that they're being asked to uh, uh, agree to, okay? When it comes to children, um, it's, it is a challenging and ever-developing area, okay? And I don't think it's helpful to get into the technicalities. Sure. Our message, really, mm. to the community is quite simple. Mm. Adults who try to engage with children in any way which is sexual, whether that be physically or virtually, such as online, are a real and significant danger okay, to our society, mm -hmm. and they need to be stopped and where possible prosecuted. Rosie, I don't know whether... Yeah, of course. So there's lots of different things that Liam said that underpin consent. So capacity, like Liam mentioned, is something that's really important. So there's different things that can affect someone's capacity, whether an adult or a child. So age is obviously a factor when we talk about children. Um, mental health, you know, if someone's had a significant uh, mental health um, not specifically a diagnosis, but maybe a breakdown, for instance, um, well, that will affect their ability to give consent because the capacity will be reduced. Um, if someone is significantly intoxicated, um, again, adult or child, um, if they can't walk, they, they obviously can't consent. Um, uh, if the consent is very visible, so if someone can't keep eye contact with you and speak consistently no. to you, it's just a baseline thing. So if you could not have a conversation with someone, um, what makes you then think that it's okay to have sex with them? Mm -hmm. So it's just things to think about, really. Um, substance abuse. Um, if we have adults that are giving children um, or adults giving other adults uh, large amounts of substances and then trying to, you know, carry out sexual activity with them, again, that will affect consent because even for an adult, if they are heavily intoxicated, heavily uh, under the influence of substances, how can they then consent? So it's just some of these things. Now, I'm not saying it's not okay to go out with your husband on a Friday night, have a few <laughs> cheeky drinks, you know, and then go home and have sex. I'm definitely not saying that. What I'm talking about here is when people are taking advantage of other people's vulnerabilities. So um, the thing with consent as well, it can be pulled back at any time. So I could agree to have sex with someone um, at this minute in time, and then in a minute's time later, I could say, actually, no, I don't want that. And I've got the full right to take away that consent. So it's understanding that it isn't just, oh, well, she didn't say no, he didn't say no, they didn't scream, so it must have been consensual. Um, it, it's much more than that. Absolutely. 
And and I think that's so. Just that we talk about and this is for adults really, and that's so. Which is why the area of consent is ever de developing. And if we talk about consensual sex between adults, where actually both parties have said yes, there's actually been a recent successful prosecution for something called stealthing, and this is where it was a couple that had um, that were in a casual relationship, and the agreement was that. Uh, she consented to sex on the basis that he would wear a condom. Prior to sexual intercourse, he removed his condom without her knowledge. Okay, she made a complaint of rape, and it was successfully prosecuted. Okay, because consent is around the whole, you know, the whole context, and I use context quite a lot, but it's around that whole, you know, I could consent to X, Y, and Z on this basis, and if you deviate, then consent is with, withdrawn. And, and sorry, Ruth, and going back to what Liam said earlier about that sort of inequality or the, when a person somehow feels that they've lost power in a situation. And I think that's, that, that, that's really, really important. And I, I really love your description before about people feeling equal, feeling both empowered, feeling both that they're in control of a situation, and man or woman. I think that's essential. Really, if you know, yeah. if, you, if you're um, consenting to have sex, yeah, definitely. So something else that can affect that process as well is like a learning disability, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, if you have got two adults, but one of them's got a significant learning disability and the other one hasn't. So again, there are things that could affect the ability sure. to consent. Um, if you have got someone who is heavily dependent on someone um, through different areas, maybe they're dependent on them for finance, dependent on them for housing, um, are they saying yes because they want to say yes, or are they saying yes because they're frightened? They're compelled to, mm -hmm. maybe large to yeah and that's not to say that the other person is you know going out trying to um, sexually assault that other person but it's just different things that we need to think about when we talk about power imbalances mm -hmm. all right thank you um good stuff there um let's talk about um we've gone through what we ought to how we need to educate ourselves in the public about what is lawful what is not lawful um let's talk about the effects because i think this we're coming to the really important part which is the effects on individuals, whether children or adults, through exploitation, and you know, as a result of that, what they then experience. So, Rosie, can we start with you? Let's focus on children right now. What does that mean for them? So, if a child is abused, there's significant effects. So, one of the first effects is sometimes children feel shame because they don't understand that what happened wasn't their fault. They feel like they've done something wrong or they need to keep a secret. If um, other agencies end up finding out and the police are involved and social care and um, it becomes more of a public um, experience, then they might be worried that they've done something wrong because all these people are involved yes. and what, what's the community going to think of them? Which really, that's a trick that perpetrators play on children because what they do is they shift responsibility from themselves to the children and then they will try to engage other people from the community into believing that as well. Like the child's the one in the wrong when the child's the victim. Um, so shame, massive uh, in terms of exploitation. So what you might see in children is eating disorders or overeating after abuse. What you might see is self-harm. So um, children doing things like cutting their arms, maybe punching windows, punching walls. So again, when you see a child 
presenting like this, you, you'd be thinking, OK, what's going on with this child? Um, but this might be something that happens after the abuse. You might see a child that is struggling to sleep, having night terrors, um, crying in the sleep. You might have a child that was previously quite chatty and quite engaging and really wanting to speak with people, now doesn't really want to speak to anyone and wants to stay in quite a lot. You might see a child who was previously um, really well socially engaged with the children, had lots of peers, had lots of friends, did activities. Now they don't really have a social circle, either because they want to isolate or because they feel judged. Um, so then they've been made to feel like they need to isolate. So there's just so many different effects. If the child is sometimes maybe abused by someone that is known to the family as well. That can have a significant effect in terms of um, how the family responds to that child then and meet their needs, how they support that child. Um, so there's just so many different layers to this. It's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological. It affects their ability to uh, concentrate on their education. Um, it affects their self-esteem, their self-worth, them having a belief that they can do something with a life one day. There's just so much. It's, it's shame much. And also, we're talking about children here who eventually grow up to be adults and mm -hmm. carry with them yeah. very often very deep psychological scars of what happened to them as children. And there are, often, there are lots of people who are able to survive and come through this. And there are lots of other people who then... So we're talking about child exploitation, but I think, you know, Rosie, we, we've also got... People need to understand that what happens as a result of your action. So you have... We're talking about children... Um, the effects of what happens to them in childhood, mm. but the long-term effects of child exploitation can go with them throughout their adulthood. And lots of times they need extra support and help and the love of a partner or family member, you know, somebody supporting them within the police service or, or social services. I think it's really important to mention that the child exploitation can affect child many decades into their life. Liam, I don't know if you want to... No, absolutely. And I would say it's one thing I was, um, you know, was, was listening to, to Rosie mm -hmm. give, uh, give her answer. Uh, I'm really blessed, and certainly the police service is really blessed with a great working relationship with um, with education, with health, children services, and, and um, you know, we go to professionals meetings when we're talking about our at-risk children. And I'm just thinking that actually one of the th uh, things that we do see is... Um, which is what's really important that we share information between ourselves, yeah. is um, marked changes in behaviour in terms of school. So it's very obvious when a child has gone through a tra traumatic incident because they'll have really good attendance, yeah. really good grades, and then all of a sudden there's this weird, odd blip yeah. where they get those bad behaviour points, their grades go down, they lose focus at, uh, at school, um, and... By being able to share that information um, and figure out what's going on, we can reduce the impact on things like when they're in adults because if we allow that to continue, they don't finish their education, which drops their um, uh, opportunities maybe for their future, for an employment, uh, which impacts their feeling of self-worth as, as adults. It impacts their um, how they see relationships, what is a healthy relationship as, 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 as an adult. Um, and... As they become parents, they may also then it may kind of cloud their judgment as to to their own children that they that they may true, have. True. Um, so um, you know, and, and for for adults, kind of exploitation, whether they're exploited as a child or even as an adult, relationship problems, tensions within you know within marriages may lead up to breakup. 
if they've been exploited as an adult through a financial uh, issue, they made significant final financial losses, um, then impacts their mental health. Um, again, same thing really, self-harm, self feeling of shame, isolation, not willing to go out, changing his behaviour, hiding away, um, not willing to come forward because they feel embarrassed. Um, it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah. really Im impactive across the across the board. Yeah, and I think one of the issues, just going back from what Liam said, then one of the things that abuse does to to children, it leaves them with a belief that they can't trust people, um, because they've trusted someone because they've been groomed, so they've made been made to feel like they can trust this individual, and then realise that they've actually abused them. So then that has a knock-on effect for their ability to engage with agencies, um, to build trusting relationships with other people in their adult life. So sometimes when we see people in the community who may say they don't want assistance or they may seem withdrawn it's not because they're trying to be difficult it's because they've got something inside them that tells them that people cannot be trusted absolutely that's really important and again i guess you know probably we've already talked about some of these things like shame and embarrassment but then leading on to that very reason why lots of people don't come forward Mm. because of the things that you've mentioned. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, Rosie. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I was on the island a couple of years ago. I was very blessed to come here previously, and we came and did some training for about two weeks. So you might have seen me. I was the woman walking around with lots of sunburn. <laughs> um, and we were actually on the radio, and a woman rang in, uh, a woman who, I'm not going to say older woman because she might be listening, but she was in her 70s. And she said that something happened to her on the island many years ago and that there was no one to talk to about yeah. it. Right. I remember that I was on that interview, I remember that well. And yes. that is the experience of so many people, yes. that things have happened to them in their lives, and if they have spoken to someone else about it, they've been told just to put it to bed, don't think about it, just get on with it, and they haven't really known where they can go for help and support, and they've just lived with it. Um, women and men, all the way into you know the late 70s, 80s, that are now starting to think about these things. But in terms of one of the reasons why people don't come forward, I think victim blaming is something that we see right across the world. Um, we see that in the language that we use. Sometimes it's very direct. Yeah. So it could be, for instance, maybe someone was sexually assaulted and then we make a comment about how they were dressed. Right. She asked for it. Mm. Yeah, so that, that kind of thing. Comment, yeah. Yeah. So that's mm. very direct victim blaming. But then what yeah. we see sometimes is more of how people say things. Um, so they might say, oh, such a body was sexually assaulted on Saturday. And they'll say, oh, wasn't she the person that used to get about with such a body and such a body? So then they sort of paint an image like this person's not an ideal victim. And again, it's victim blaming. So in terms of coming forward as well, I think there's a lot of fear sometimes because if I was an adult, even as an adult, never mind a child, but if I was an adult and something had happened to me, I'd be very worried about what people would think. I'd like to tell you I wouldn't, but I think I still would yes. um, because that's natural and that's human. Some people are able to push past that and get help and support, but some aren't. You know, we spoke about some of the scams here today. Imagine you're a woman in your 40s, you're recently divorced and you've been on a dating site and then someone has managed to, you know, manipulate you and get £6,000. It's not going to be easy in the first instance to come and talk to someone about that. As soon as you do and you get help and support of the people that you can trust, you know, things will change. But in that first instance, that would be really difficult. Absolutely. And, and going back to with this 
sexual exploitation and you know you talk about victim blaming and then of course repercussions or consequences of me coming out and saying something that I'm now going to maybe experience a fallout especially if it's a family if the fam if it was a family member mm. that was a perpetrator that's even harder it's hard enough when it was a stranger but it's doubly hard and more if the perpetrator was a member of the family and so then coming out and saying what's happened to you then means that the other members of the family um, you know, there are going to be consequences from that where you, you have you experience a fallout in either that they don't they stop speaking to you and that's that's a tremendous burden for people you know or you're held to blame in some way so it's um you know it's 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 so huge for people when they actually do make that decision to come out yeah, and absolutely and, and again you know we have to take into the cultural context of the sure, island and the fact sure. that you know um for want of a better phrase, everybody kind of knows everybody, don't they? So the the impact of you know of these types of offences within the community uh, is is probably a little bit more focused than 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 you know the UK where there's 40, 60 odd million people. Yeah. Um, so and especially where it's within family contexts or close uh, friendships um, where there's the perpetrator-victim relationship is. Again, it just comes down to changing mindsets, changing cultural mindsets by saying. It is always, it's always the perpetrator's fault. End, end of question. Sorry, yes. Regardless of the the background to the nature of the relationship, we talk we talk about children and all these, you know, the the, the kind of the, the stupid arguments about well, was she going? Didn't she go out around with etc. Blah blah blah. Well, the the likelihood is that if there is some kind of background history to that, it's probably because that child is being groomed or sexually exploited anyway. Okay, right. because society and, and, and has not protected that child, that's allowed that child to be repeatedly uh, exploited, it's always the perpetrator's fault. Stop blaming your victims, regardless of what age they are. Stop it. And we were talking just earlier about some of the psychological effects of sexual abuse. So research, this is what research suggests, that stigmatisation um, is a massive traumagenic factor. So when we're looking at about the, the amount of trauma an individual experiences after they've been abused, if they are stigmatised, that increases that level of trauma because they don't feel safe, they don't feel wanted, they don't feel loved and they don't feel protected. So whether that's in the families or by the community, we, I think we have a responsibility to support victims because we, we don't want to see is people are abused they have the courage to come forward and seek some justice and then they feel stigmatized for that um, if we they, they need a lot of support and mm -hmm. I go back to what Liam also said that and, and making this sort of responsibility within the community as well to say we are a community that cares and actually when something like this happened um, you know, just sort of put your arms around people and say, we're here to support you, whether that's the churches or families or homes or schools. I mean, that can be so empowering for victims to feel that kind of support and love from within their community. And I know it will go a long way to aid towards healing and, and for them to be able to hopefully push on and move on with their lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things that um, I would really, really love to see an increase of is just ordinary members of the public uh, speaking to me or my team or any of the police officers um, telling us about word on the street in terms of I've got a concern about this person right. and this child I've got no evidence it's a little bit of hearsay but I'm worried I'm happy with that because I'd rather I'd rather community information especially on St Helena <laughs> is priceless you know um, yes. people know what's going on in their neighborhoods 
people know what's going on next door to them yeah and it's about changing that mindset to from people just you know shutting the the curtains going it's not my problem right when it comes certainly to especially to uh, child sexual exploitation adults and children it is your business you doing nothing is an option you doing nothing does not stop the problem okay I'd rather you come talk to me talk to children's services talk to Rosie whoever okay let us look into it let us decide if there's anything going on or whether there's fingers crossed nothing to it okay let us do it so that that's my biggest plea is about changing the ordinary member of public's yes. mind okay important message there so we coming to the end a few seconds left really um, of course we mentioned at the very beginning the arrival of the cable the associated benefits of that we're all very very excited but of course we're also looking at some of the risks that are associated with that so um, any sort of final advice Liam and, and Rosie on that before we finish up today Thank so, you. so in relation to children I think the first thing that we can do is educate like what we're planning to do next week um, do not speak with children parents speak with children explaining that there is online danger but also I think it's about empowering parents to know that you know what if you have got a child and you're worried about what they're doing on the phone you can ask to see that child's phone you can ask what the child's doing on the internet you know as a parent you've got that responsibility to safeguard your own child so it's about not just empowering children but about empowering parents as well to have that information and to know what to look out for really Okay. Uh, yeah, in terms in terms of adults, like we we, we recognise that there may well be kind of a, a generational gap in terms of technological awareness, um, and that and that's not saying that there aren't um, that, that there aren't older people that are technologically uh, savvy, um, because they they very much are. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, I know. I've I've come across you. Yeah, I've met I've met many many a, 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 an older person that's you know got more um, awareness than I have. Um, yes, for for us, it's, a, it's encouraging people. Uh, look out for the uh, you know the training sessions. If you can come to one of the twilight sessions, brilliant. Um, or whatever is available for you. If you work within SHG and some of the private sector businesses, the day sessions that we're doing next week, come to them. Um, talk to your kids. Figure out what apps they're on because they change like week by week. You know, today it's WhatsApp and Facebook. Who knows what it'll be tomorrow? It'll be some new fad. There are some really brilliant websites um, out there which give you all sorts of advice. Um, there's getsafeonline.org, which gives um, some brilliant advice around some of the internet scams and the bits and pieces, the phishing around Scotland and the money mules, that type of brilliant. Um, and it's very user-friendly, so it's for the ordinary person. Um, and it's not kind of computer geek speak. Um, and then in relation to kind of children, sexual exploitation and the risks, Bernardo's, hopefully people have heard of Bernardo's, the great, um, you know, the great man who set up for orphanages in here, NSPCC, National Society of Protection of Cruelty to Children, some really, really great charities that do great work around child sexual exploitation online. Again, great resources on there, um, you know, uh, and, yeah, just raise awareness and education, really. Wonderful. Liam and Rosie, thank you so much for coming to St. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.